it's Sally here. Just a quick one, just a quick one. If you like this really sweary podcast by Kalechi, sorry, Kalechi, do remember to rate and review Say Your Mind on Apple Podcasts, okay? Now for the very urban intro music. <laughs> it's the Ben Spoonani woman, this baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this. So sit down, sit down, receive this realness. Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are gonna sip it Hard time scrolling for your long drawers You might learn something you never know Collect you find And she's one of a kind Don't say you mind Say you mind And then she told me I think COVID's a lie And I said Baby You can suck your mom for life Ha! Ha ha! Anyway, hi everybody. Hi everybody. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's just me, Kalechi, in the blood clot place to be. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? That's right, suck your mum. I feel so much better. Woo! Last week was tough, you know, coming to record straight after Silverstone. Her baby girl was tired. I was exhausted. So I'm back. Um, I know some people are like, oh, you know, you sound so ill. No, I was just from all the screaming. I don't like to make my throat work that hard. Pause. Anyway, um, yeah, I was I was just exhausted, but I've had time to like really kind of ch- chill out, take things easy. And I'm back, back in the his house. Um recording another episode for your head tops. Um, how have you been? What's been going on with Chow? Um, I did a impromptu live, uh, tarot reading, uh, pick a par reading for my patrons on Patreon on Saturday. And that was a wonderful, just have that energy with me as I was pulling the cards and we could have a discussion. And I'm definitely going to try to do more of that um, more often, you know, with the patrons, because it's great when I'm doing a pick up, I, you know, I pick up the messages even more clearly. And it's really wonderful. It was just wonderful to share that space. And for those who didn't catch the message in time, because I know it was super last minute, I put the video up of that um, reading that session. Um, it's up on the Patreon page. So you can get it there. And yeah, I'll just be doing more of it because I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy being able to control the spaces that I share things in. This is why, I, you know, I've said before, I find Instagram stories, not Instagram stories, Instagram live, a bit of a live wire because you just never know who's going to be there in the comment section and, you know, just how much you want to say, who's watching you, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, being able to kind of curate the space for myself. I, I really like that. So much has been happening this week. Um, big up Dawn Butler, because I don't even know if I've put it in. I don't think I've put it in the notes. I should have, but big up Dawn Butler for calling Boris Johnson a liar, because that's exactly what he is. Um, she got kicked out of parliament for it. Oh, well, she said what needed to be said. And I hope that the rumours are true and that she is running for Labour leadership, although I truly believe that Labour is in a gutter right now, and I don't know if there's any way of saving it or salvaging it, so I really feel like the Black women, the Black Labour MPs, 
um, the black female Labour MPs because I feel like that certain guys are wayward. Um, they should start their own party and they would get all of the support because, <laughs> like, Labour is currently hemorrhaging, what do they say, about 250 members a day or something? I don't know, maybe it's a week, whatever. The fact is you're losing people, losing members all of the time. Why? Because that mole that they sent in to come and ruin everything, he's doing a fine, fine job. Um... But yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I didn't want to de dedicate too much time to that and the um, the person that lacked a top lip, that Madam Speaker, Deputy Speaker that lacked a top lip that was telling her, telling Dawn Butler to withdraw her statement of calling Boris Johnson a liar. Apparently, you know, it's part of the rules in the um, Houses of Parliament that you can't call um, the, one of the other MPs, you can't call them a liar or a drunk. But I mean... So basically you're saying that we can't describe Boris Johnson. That's really weird. Like, so you're taking away all the describing words. So what are we left with? What next are you going to tell us that we can't call him what list, that we can't ask him to count his children? We have to be really, really serious. Stop taking words away from people. It is what it is. If it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, then guess what? It's Boris. Okay. Thank you. Anyway, let's just get into all of the things then, let's get into the tarot for this week, um, yeah, let's get into the tarot, I'm really excited for this week, no particular reason, I just feel like, you know, things are just as they are, and I think like when you just find a way to kind of let go, you create so much more space for yourself. I've just accepted wholeheartedly that the world is mad and people are mad and I'm going to shoot my shot wherever I can. And the worst thing that can happen is people say no. As those of you would have seen already, the um, Michaela Cole, it was announced last week that Michaela Cole will be um, one. She's She's been cast in Black Panther 2, the Black Panther sequel. And that's currently shooting. I think it's in Atlanta. Is currently shooting in Atlanta. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you get to practice the things that you preach. The first thing that came across my mind was, wait, so they've been casting and they've been doing this thing. Meanwhile, I'm here and I've been speaking this thing into existence. Man, fuck everybody. Fuck Ryan Coogler. Fuck everybody that's working on that because I have been asking about this and pleading for this for the longest time. Fam, I said I'd be a fucking shrub. So I, what, I can't be cast as a shrub. I can't be, I, I can't be cast as one of the, you know, the crevices on the mountaintop. What? How, how difficult is that to do? A young Dora Milaje, I could not do. That's ridiculous. Have you seen my core strength? Have you seen my muscles? Have you seen my range? Nah, disrespectful. So those were the kind of first things that crossed my mind. And at the same time, I was just like, no, but this is great because look at a black British actress stepping up into the place after such a fantastic job with I May Destroy You. She's now going to be um, in Black Panther. And more so, I think why I thought about it was because, you know, um, if you listen to this um, podcast for a, for a while, if you're new, welcome. Um, but if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I have an obsession with playing villains. Like I want to play a villain. I would, I would be one of the best villains of all time. And I'm not just saying that like, just, you know, hyperbole. I'm fucking great at playing villains to the point where if you lot, as much as you love and support me, watch me play that role, you might just decide that you hate me forever and ever. Um, so yeah, I would play a really, really great villain and I wanted the chance to do that. And I don't know if you looked up the picture of Madam Slay. Madam Slay was Killmonger's like girlfriend or whatever, um, or partner. 
and um, she wears like cheetah print and she's got green, uh, sorry, blue hair. And if you look at the picture, I can see how maybe that's the role that they've cast Michaela Cole in. Because then it would make sense for the story that she's maybe coming to uh, seek revenge for Killmonger dying or something like that. I don't know. Like, I'm not the one that writes these stories in it. But um, that's what crossed my mind that maybe they've gotten her um, gotten her in as Madam Slay. And I really wanted to play that, that, that role. Um, but, you know, it could also be Storm. But whatever it is, I'm just glad that we're really out here doing bits. And I think that it's a, it's a lesson. It's a lesson in um, manifesting that when you're manifesting, you're always saying that you want to manifest the things that align you with your highest good. So if you ain't seen it, maybe it's not for your highest good right now. You might see it in the future. And all the time they remake these things. How many like Spider-Men have we had and this and that and this and that? Like we've had so many like different, I think that's a different universe, obviously. But you know, like we've had so many different actors play these, um, you know, superheroes. We've had loads of Catwomen. We've had Storm. Wait, has Halle Berry played both Storm and Catwoman? I just think that's great that she's played so many superheroes. And um, yeah, and then they do like superhero um, origin stories. That would be really, really cool as well. Because then I feel like in an origin story, you really get to show your range because you go from um, the moment of not knowing your power to the point where you do know your power or you start to kind of learn more about your power. And I think that it takes really, really great actors and directors to convey that. Um, so yeah, I just thought that I'd share that with you. So on one hand, you manifest Silverstone and we're still working on the G-Wagon and you're praying that you're manifesting Black Panther too, but sometimes maybe that's not the case and they're just filming without you. Um, but I wish everybody well, and I know that it's going to be incredible. I pray that it's incredible. And also, you know, let's not forget RIP Chadwick Boseman. And we just continue, you know, we, we continue to move forward, but I just randomly thought I'd say that. Um, but I, I'm saying I randomly thought I'd say that, but I'm really trying to lean into the fact that the more I connect with spirit, the more I focus on my spiritual practice. I don't say anything um, for no reason. Everything kind of interrelates. Remember when I said, when that stupid Jankro bitch said that, um, emailed me, the quote unquote journalist said, oh, well, how would I know the things that you've done? It's not like you're a household name, but these times you're trying to chase me down for fuckery. It's not like I'm a household name, but I remember saying on that podcast that marked market on the wall by the end of this year, watch where I'm going to be. And just lo and behold, by the end of 2020, I was doing major bits. And now we're in 2021. The bits have been bitsing, you know, the bits have been bobbing, you know, the bobs have been bitsing. I've been doing bits and absolute bobs. And it just goes to show like, you know, even the things that you might feel like you're saying flippantly, you know, the tongue is powerful. The tongue is extremely powerful. So be aware of the things that you're saying over your life and the things that you're saying over other people's lives. And so if I've landed a curse on you, that's still going to stay until I say otherwise. And you've provided me with an apology and I have accepted that apology because I know that certain men, from what I've heard, are really struggling right now. But you know what you need to do next time? You won't move mad. Yeah. Next time you won't move mad and think that you can just tweet through it and not um, give the apologies that you need to give. Anyway, um, so yeah, let's get into the tarot. Um, so the cards that came out this week, I just said, you know, what is the advice really going forward for this week? And, um, I'm using the after tarot deck instead of the Lisa style deck this week, as well as the spiritual seasoning for the soul Oracle deck and the wisdom of the Oracle deck as well by Colette Baron-Reed. Um, 
but the spiritual seasoning for the soul deck is obviously by moi. The first card that came out is the temperance card. And so in the traditional deck, we see the angel pouring from one cup into the other with one foot in the water and one foot on the land. And it's just beautiful. Um, it's beautifully depicted with the sun in the background and a path leading towards the sun. Um, in this deck, we see the temperance card. We see the angel light shining above their head. This is number 14, breaks down to three. Yeah, no, number 14 breaks down to five, sorry, five. All right, so the conflict is over, you know, the conflict is over, that's what it feels like. We see the angel pouring the water back into the um, the lake that they're by, or, and then, um, or the pond, and then the other cup is held up into the air and a dove is flying out of it. Beautiful red wings. The conflict is over, like some, some of you, you know, you some real shit has been happening. Some real shit has been happening. Some real things have been going on in your life. And you might be thinking like, right, how did I make it through? Because we've got the three of swords here. And it's not the three of swords where the knight, uh, the swords are in the heart, like in the traditional deck. No, the knight, uh, the swords are now out of the heart. It's still raining though. There are still clouds behind, but the heart has been bandaged up. Number three, the, the heart has been bandaged up. And so what this is telling me that is that you've been through a lot. Knight of Wands also in reverse is here. So I read this a number of ways. You've been through um, your healing. That's what the temperance card is firstly saying. The conflict is over and you're healing. And that's also what we're getting from the bandaged heart that you are healing. For some people, you might be healing from infidelity, like somebody cheated and everything. Because when I sometimes think about that, when I think of three of swords, I know it's not the traditional reading of the card. Um, but you're healing, you've pulled the swords out, you're kind of done with um, that sort of, that relationship now, you made the choices that you needed to make, you called the shots that you needed to call, and you're moving on. Or even if you were the person that did the cheating, and now, you know, they say sometimes when you do long throat, you know, you choke. And so, you know, that's done now, and the consequences are really there. And the thing is, the healing isn't over, you are healing, you know, because we've got water, um, with the temperance card, the angel standing one foot in the water, one foot on the land. And we've also got rain behind the heart as the, and the clouds as well. So you're not done with the healing. You're still processing everything. But when we see that knight of wands, it's like you've gotten rid of the people that were just like, you know, bringing extra drama in your life that you did not need. I feel like for some, some of you it was even a hotep you know, one of them hotep guys that when you first meet them, you're like, rah, you know, wow, they're vegan and look at their washboard abs and wow, they're so cool and they like CMOS. And then they just start doing the most and really restricting who you are as a person until you're finally like, you know what, take your CMOS loving ass elsewhere. Yeah. Take all of your beaded necklaces and your, um, ank tattoos, take all of that elsewhere and fuck off. Um, so some of you are going through that and um, others of you, it's just a case of like, you're, um, yeah, you're just watching them go. You're watching these people leave. You're watching them leave um, and go and figure out what it is that they want for their lives. Because sometimes, you know, it's not even necessarily a case of infidelity. You're, it's heartbreaking when there's nothing actually wrong with the person and there's nothing actually wrong with you. It's just that you want different things. 
you know that um I think Crystal mentioned Crystal mentioned it one time where it's just like the, the hardest heartbreak is when nobody's done anything wrong. It's just, you know, it's just not working, you know, and and that's okay, you know, because sometimes we it helps us when we have a bad guy, right? It helps us when we have someone to blame and we're like, well, that's why it didn't work because they're narcissistic. Oh, you know when someone's broken up with somebody because suddenly everybody starts posting screenshots of what a narcissist is and what a sociopath is. And you're like, Lord, come and see everybody's degree in psychology. Um, but yeah, um, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just that it, it served the purpose that it needed to serve at the time. And now everybody can go their own way. You can go your own way. Yeah. Anyway. And then the song that kept coming into my head when I saw these cards before um started recording, like I just flipped them over before I pressed record. Um, I don't know if you've heard that Boys to Men um Boys to Men album, but there's a song in there that says, Don't have to stay with someone that makes you cry. You'll end up, um, you'll end up killing all the love you have inside. Can't hope to see the sun if you don't open your eyes. Don't let real love pass you by. That's a tune. I know you're nervous, but take it from me. Eh, 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 eh. Cause you deserve so much more than you receive. Um... Yeah, it's a banger. I love that album. It's actually one of my favourite albums in the entire world. Um, yeah, you don't have to stay with someone that makes you cry. You know, you'll end up losing. Why am I repeating the lyrics like I just didn't sing them to you? But honestly, it's true. But the most important part of that is you can't hope to see the sun if you don't open your eyes. You know, there is a, there is a way through this and there is the sun above the angel's head and we also see all the light above the angel's head in the temperance card and then we also see the sun off in the distance as well you've got to walk towards your joy you've got to walk towards the sunlight like go towards your joy um just because things didn't happen the way that you wanted them to doesn't mean that you are less deserving of the things that you desire no it's just that sometimes you experience certain things so it makes you more sure of what you desire um and you go for that and some of you the way the second way that I read this card is that yes you've been hurt but you cannot now go and inflict the um, pain that you um, have experienced from others you can't go and do that to other people or use that as an excuse to deny yourself um a healing relationship right or a healing space because sometimes people move mad towards you and they're like oh but it's because I had this sort of ex and I went through this and um, I had this sort of childhood while all of those are valid in terms of like the experiences that you've had it's your or like it's your responsibility to make sure that you are not um, kind of perpetuating that cycle and doing the same thing to other people that's what I'm reading from the Knight of wands like learn from this and take action but don't go and now start um, hurting other people and also um the way that I see this when I look at that knight of wands in reverse is like don't go out to seek revenge either and you might not you might just entertain the thoughts in your head you might just be like mm, oof, oh I would love to do this and when I catch that bitch that sent me the dm whoo it's got it's gonna be on and popping don't even entertain that. We know that maybe you'll never do that. You might not walk up to somebody and slap them up. And that is a message for me as well. Like sometimes people hurt you, especially when people try to move mad online or you feel like certain deals, like um, certain brands I really wanted to cuss out this week, but I just had to let it, or last week rather, but I just had to let it go. But I had to train myself to not even entertain um, 
you know, those vengeful thoughts that you'd have, not that you'd ever take action with, with, you know, and go forward with them, but even the entertaining of those thoughts, they mess with your vibration, they lower your vibration, so don't even entertain that, as hard as it may be, you've got to learn, your body has to learn, your spirit has to learn to not use um, the um, fantasy of vengeance to get you through hard times. Yes, it served you in the past, but now you've got to get to the stage of maturity, spiritual maturity, where somebody fucks up or tries to fuck you over and you look beyond it and you look towards the healing. Like, yes, you're going to feel a particular way about what they've done, but you try to um, look at that um, option of vengeance or um entertaining the ideas about vengeance to get you through you don't use them as a crutch anymore because otherwise that energy still stays around and that's confirmed because at the bottom of the card is the emperor in reverse so some of you is like almost trying to heal from a father wound as well or healing from um either that or the way that authority figures have moved mad towards you whether it's also in the workplace and you're like oh I'm gonna get them back one day don't waste your life waiting for the day to get somebody back like just live just live as um, challenging as it may feel that is how we learn about unconditional love you know just living even when it feels like our heart is in pieces and you know we feel like we've been wounded like our inner child has been wounded greatly just moving on from there really um that's then the cards that we got from um the spiritual seasoning for the soul deck we got this moment is the most important how uh, is this how you want to use it exactly this moment is the most important is this how you want to use it don't use the moments that you have on vengeful thoughts don't use the moments that you have on oh wondering about the one that got away and what it means and how you had a specific plan for your life and now it's not turning out the way that you want and there is an anger that you're not trying to acknowledge and you're just trying to like nurse it like oh I'm just gonna go out with friends and I'm gonna like drink lots or I'm gonna do this and I'm just gonna like I don't know for some people it feels like oh I'm just gonna fuck the pain away that's fine do whatever you feel like is gonna help you but at some point you're going to have to choose different modes of healing because you are definitely on the path of healing um but it's not going to feel the way that you've been used to feeling before because you know better now so the things that were helping you before the vices that were helping you before aren't really going to serve you in the same way anymore it's not going to hit the same so you're going to yeah, you're going to have to kind of swallow that bitter medicine. And I said it to the um, patrons on Patreon when I did the live reading that um, I, I was reminded of that quote, physician, heal thyself. You are your physician. You know your body best. You know your soul best. You know the medicine, the true medicine that's going to help with this healing. That is the medicine that you need to take. Every other thing is a counterfeit. The next card that we've got, oh, look at this baby. The next card that we've got from the spiritual seasoning for the soul oracle deck is people do hurtful things. That is their journey. How we react to the th um, things people do is our journey. Again, that temperance card being there, balance. Yes, we know that you've been hurt. Yes, we know that your heart is breaking um, and you're working on healing. We know that. But what you cannot do now is be like, oh, because they've moved mad, I'm going to go and move madder. Because what is that going to achieve? Achieve. Like, 
your destiny is so great. Like, what is that going to achieve? Remember, remember that you are the hero in this story. And when and we don't need you to then go and also play the villain. That's way too many roles. That's way too many lines for you to learn. Focus on your path as the hero. Focus on the path that you're being called to where you can, you know, I mentioned like the superhero origin story. We met you at a space where you did not know your power. Things happen in the same way in them origin stories. Those things happen where you learn of your power and then we're watching what you then go on to do, do with it. And, um, you know, that's, that's what you're being called to do. Don't, um, start moving mad just because other people move mad towards you, no matter how tempting it might be. You might have the perfect plan to get these people back, but really, is it worth it? Like, is that um, a debt that you want to take on spiritually? Probably not because you've come so far. You couldn't, you can't be listening to this podcast every week and then want to then go and regress on all the work that you've been doing on yourself. Fuck that people, there's no motherfucker that's worth you undoing the work that you've been doing on your soul. There is not a single motherfucker that's worth that. Um, the Oracle's message from the wisdom of the Oracle deck says, and um, we've got the observer card number 49. It says, most people see the world through a personal lens. They closely identify with their feelings and experiences so much so that they come to believe that these are the only reality. There are times when you need distance in order to gain perspective and understand your circumstances from a more neutral vantage point. Now is one of those times in your life. There is a perfect moment. This is a perfect moment for you to begin to do some exploring. Instead of only considering yourself, consider what you need to understand about the conditions, people, culture and environment you're engaged with now. You'll be so happy you did. Illumination is the miracle you seek and will indeed find. Illumination, that temperance card, the light above the angel's head. Relationship message here says, Sometimes you just can't see the forest for the trees in your way. Feelings can get all jumbled up and often you hear one thing when a person says another. It can be like an echo of an unresolved past experience dubbed over your com conversation. Take time out before you react. It's likely the other person has no idea how his or her words have affected you. Take a few steps back and lend understanding to the situation. Have faith in your connection and trust that you can come together. Take to higher ground now and cultivate curiosity about what you observe in yourself, in others and in the landscape. You will find things much improved sooner than you know. Um, and then the next, the protection message here says, Ever think sometimes your life options are suction cup to your face and you can't see beyond yourself? There's a big world out there, a multitude of potential realities that you're unable to perceive at the moment. So you're a little stuck. It's time to get advice from someone you trust, someone who has a better perspective on your circumstances. Other points of view are needed now before you move forward. Take heart. A beautiful vista is waiting for you to drink it in. You just need a little help widening your scope beyond your small self. And I think that that is really lovely. And it kind of sums this up, especially what I was saying earlier, like don't let the wounding of past experiences make you move mad to other people in the present. Like, you know, sometimes, yeah, it is scary to consider new relationships or it is scary to kind of be like, oh, my workplace fucked me over and I'm now going to go into a new place. And you're looking for the archetypes that you had in your previous workspace. Don't look for them. If they're there, they will find you. You don't need to be looking for them. Just go towards your joy, not everyday combat. Ha! 
drag me lord not everyday combat some you know some days just take the joy yes we know that we've come through so much and then that hyper vigilance it's a trauma response we've got to heal we've got to heal yes there might be danger around the corner but there might not what if there isn't you know so it's about finding a balance that's why the temperance card is there finding a balance like we know you've got smoke for the people who need it but it's not everyday smoke you know so that's that for the tarot for this week I pray that it resonates with you those who keep asking me about the one-to-one -one tarot readings I update my schedule my timetable I put the availability on the kalechiokafor.com website I put it on there when I know when I'm available I tend to kind of get booked for things um sometimes at the last minute, sometimes way ahead, we never know. Um, and I put it on there, but the first people who I always tell my, and um, when I've added my availability or added more slots, I always tell the patrons. So if you want to know firsthand rather than emailing me endlessly, jump on patreon.com forward slash Kalechi Okafor. And, um, you can, you know, you can book yourself in from there or just keep an eye out because that way you also get the one, uh, the pick up readings as well. Anyway, let's jump to this week's show sponsor who are Better Help and then we'll go to Share Your Magnificence. So this week's podcast is sponsored or this podcast episode this week is sponsored by Better Help. Like I said, if there's something interfering with your happiness, maybe you're moving mad towards people because other people have moved mad towards you, BetterHelp, that's Better H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There are a broad range of expertise available that you might find aren't actually available in your local area. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with people staring into your nostrils. BetterHelp, that's better H-E-L-P, is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it um, easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp, that's betterhelp.com forward slash your mind. That's BetterHelp betterhelp.com forward slash your mind and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Um, you've got your special offer for being a Say Your Mind listener where you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash your mind. So go and get into it while we get into Share Your Magnificence. So this week for Share Your Magnificence, the first person I actually want to big up is um, Uche Eke, who's the first Nigerian gymnast to represent Nigeria, Nigeria at the Olympics. There are quite a few Olympic-y things that I've actually got down today, but I just think that that's wonderful, you know, like Nigeria's like, you know, we're, we're getting more representation um you know there's a there's a mix of whether you know the representation is happening and I just think it's um yeah I just think it's gorgeous I really I really love that just a beautiful baby boy just doing all the things I think male gymnasts are incredible I mean obviously I think female gymnasts are incredible as well but just the strength the flexibility um 
just the way that they do it, it's not something that you see how you don't see men moving in that way often. Oh, patriarchy has us by the neck. But um, yeah, it's just beautiful to kind of just see that. I think that um, it's gorgeous. And Ibokwenu, hey, yeah, I love it. Um, 24 years old, doing the things and I just freaking love to see it. But on that subject though, I really don't understand why pole dancing is still not an Olympic sport. I was looking at um the TV the other day. Well, was it um today actually? Yeah, I said the other day. It was today. Well, when you listen to it, it'll be yesterday. Anyway, I was looking at the TV and I saw that skateboarding is an Olympic sport now. And I was just like, wow, skateboarding? Great great, I'm saying it's an Olympic sport now, it might have been an Olympic sport for a while, but anyway, I'm just like, okay, so we've got skateboarding, that's an Olympic sport, and that's wonderful, but pole dancing should also be an Olympic sport, like, it's pretty, it's gymnastics with a pole, like, Simone Biles would absolutely kill it, like, why aren't we having that? (laughs) I just feel like, it needs to be a thing. And obviously it's because pole dancing is so inextricably linked to sex workers and the misogyny is just wild. And, you know, um, the respectability politics is just wild. And that's why they don't want pole dancers to have their things. But I know pole dancers right now that if pole dancing was an Olympic sport, they would be world champions. Layla, definitely. Layla would be. I would love that. Layla, I would coach her in all the things. Like, her flexibility is on point. Her fluidity, her musicality, like, amazing. We'll just be adding some strength moves up in there with the flexibility, the hyper-flexibility moves, and we'll be taking gold. I don't know if we want to take gold for this country, though, you know? So, where we would place Layla in terms of country so we could get all the baby girl things, are things that we will consider. Anyway, I'm probably like putting Layla up for the Olympics like she even asked. Um, But no, I've got some amazing students that with the right coaching, with the right funding, like we would absolutely eat up everything. Everything. But yeah, I just think that, you know, these are the, um, these are the ways that misogyny and misogynoir specifically goes unchecked because when we see the people doing the incredible moves and that go viral usually black, you know, black strippers, black pole dancers, that's what we're seeing. They're the ones that their videos are going viral. So when you now want to make pole dancing um, an Olympic sport, you have to involve them. And that is what they will not want because they love the whole kind of very white, you know, respectable in quotation marks and, you know, slim women who are teaching pole dance for fitness. We're not going to go to the point where these black women who are doing incredible feats of athleticism on the pole are the ones that are going to come and dominate the sport. It's less like, no, you lot have dominated too many sports. You can't have this one too. But, um, I just went on off on a tangent there, but I just basically want to say, big up yourself, baby boy, Uche Eke two slaps on your chest for, um, you know, representing Nigeria so well. We fucking love to see it. Um, yeah. And then what's next in my magnificence? Um, oh, I've got a letter. I've got quite a bit for magnificence this week. And also I've got an interview. So I'll talk about that shortly. Um, let's see here. Here we go. Hello, Kalechi. I've been listening to your podcast for a little over a year. Thank you for bringing veracity with 
Ferocity. I love that. I think my name should be Ferocity Ferocity. Maybe that's my superhero name. Anyway, um, I want to send a huge slap on your chest to, uh, no, a huge slap on the chest to the youth who took down, beheaded and decrowned the statues of Victoria and Elizabeth in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory, ancestral, um, ancestral and homelands of the Anishinaabeg, um, Anishinaabeg, sorry, Cree, Dakota, Dene, Metis, and Oji Cree nations. Treaty One, signed in 1871, took this territory from seven local um, Anishinaabe First Nations in order to make the land available for European settler misuse and forceful ownership. This occurred this past Thursday. Sorry, that was first of July erroneously referred to as Canada Day, a day that is set aside to celebrate the ongoing desecration of the original protectors of this land and the land and waters, as well as consistent invasion and political manipulation in other parts of the globe. As a child of Black Caribbean immigrants, I am especially indebted to and grateful for this particular action, in addition to continual struggle, rebellion and protection of this land. Much love to you and your family. Thank you so much for that. I really, really love that. And for the people who managed to topple that those um, statues and decrown them, beheading, you really, really went there. But good, good, because we keep pretending like, like uh, Canada is left out of the conversation when we're talking about colonial settler states. Like that is what these places are. It's easy to focus on Australia, New Zealand and all of them, man. But literally right in our face, America's right there. America and Canada are right there. Canada, Canada just does a better job at PR than um the than America at presenting itself as oh no look at us moving forward no you're just as bad you're just as smelly Canada Day where where you just stole land and killed people what do you mean what do you mean and it wasn't a gate it wasn't a case of oh we got it because we were just better no you just massacred people you were willing to just you know, you were willing to commit um, genocide in order to just take all the things that did not belong to you. So, you know, if your statues are being brought down, good, because I don't want to see Victoria. I don't want to see Lizzie. I don't want to see Vicky and Lizzie. For what? What? Why? Why? Vicky and Lizzie can fuck right off. That's what people are saying. And that's what they did. Um, so I respect it. I truly, truly respect it. And um, my next, uh, Shea Magnificence, I've got two voice notes. Let's See, I chose two voice notes. Let's start with this one. Um, yeah, let's start with this one. Let's get this all the way up. I'm all the way up. Hold on. Hey, baby girl, Kalechi. This is for Share Your Magnificence, and it is for you. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved seeing you living your best life at the F1 event. You were looking like an absolute spice, walking the hell out of those JW Andersons. I absolutely love that for you, nipples and all. <laughs> um, I think I even commented a few months ago um, on the Patreon under the Pick a Pearl reading that I would love to understand your skincare routine. Please and thank you. The way your skin is just glowing so ferociously, especially when we have this shit show of a government to contend with, you know, your skin is doing bits and doing bobs. And I think the baby girls, baby boys and baby non-binaries deserve to know. Um, <laughs> in the event, though, that you don't edit on your podcast, I have a one-to-one -one, um, 
next session at some point as a gift card so I will happily dedicate a section of that to understand your uh, skincare routine. Thanks. And keep glowing. Love to see it. Bye. I just love that. I just love that. And that's the second ferocity that I've received. Maybe that's going to be my name. You know, if I was like a, re a wrestler, maybe that would be my name. Kalechi Ferocity Veracity. Yeah. Something like that. Like, you know how The Rock is like the Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I would be like Kalechi Ferocity Okafor. Okafor. You know, before they start again. Can't leave me alone ever. But, um, yeah, I love it. But then, you know, then people are expecting the ferocity. So maybe I'll be Dainty Gyal. Hey, Dainty Gyal. Yeah. Because um, my nails are done at the moment, right? Like acrylics. Usually I just have, like, shellac. But I've got acrylics on at the moment. Like, really short ones. Like, pointy, like, almond-shaped ones. And I asked for, like, little flowers to be drawn on them. And I saw a friend the other day. And he grabbed my fingers. And he was just like, wow, these are so cute. They're so dainty. You know, you wouldn't expect it of you. And I was thinking, that's what's funny. Like, people just don't look at me closely enough. Because you see one thing when I'm a whole kind of, like, I don't know merging and a mingling of so many things like it's just a shame that you miss it because of course I mean what did you want me to have drawn on my nails like lightning bolts what the fuck spears daggers no because you're not paying attention you're not paying attention people are missing the magic that is me by not paying attention. So I love that. I love the mix of um, everything and I love the ferocity coming through. As for my skincare routine, honestly, it's so simple. I um, focus on, you know, staying as in tune as I can with my ancestors and with spirit, um, aka mother goddess, father god. I just keep myself there in that space. And I feel like that's really helped. It sounds like such a woo-woo response, but no, let me break it down. When you're focused, when you realise or you start to kind of commit yourself more to the fact that you don't, there is not a single motherfucker breathing that is walking this earth's crust that can chat to me, that can, that, that can chat to me. There isn't a single one. I answer to my godly boss. I don't answer to anybody that's walking this, this earth's crust. Like, yes, you can have your rules in place and I'll adhere to them as much as I can within reason. But honestly, I'm looking beyond you. It's literally, it's above you. It's above me now. And I focus on that. And why that helps is because it really helps my cortisol levels, the stress hormone. It really helps that. So I'm not breaking out. So my body isn't like moving extremely mad, although it does move mad sometimes. It's just not moving extremely mad. And it makes me focus on minding my own business. So when I see things going on, I just stay out of it for the most part. I might send a young DM to Sadiq or send him a text message or to one of my other people then. But for the most part, I just stay out of the day-to-day -day higgy hagger. And it really helps. But in practical terms, drink my water. I, you know, exercise often. So it's keeping the blood flow going um, and... Um, my smoothies contain most of the greens that I have in my day. I pack that out, spirulina, all of that stuff. I pack it out in my smoothies, I drink lots of water, making sure I'm and like trying to eat well, like balance out what I'm eating. Um, and yeah, and I think I use face theory. Face theory is what I use, the cleanser from face theory. And um, they've got a little cream that some vitamin C sort of cream thing that I use from face theory as well. And then I use the marula oil from, is it Drunken Elephant? Drunk Elephant? 
I use that marula oil and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't do anything else really. I just try and like keep it simple. My skin seems to handle itself. And I feel like since getting my hair locked as well, I don't know why, but it's made a difference. Like it's really made a difference having my hair sort of like away and things not touching my face randomly. Um, but I would love to elaborate, but that's pretty much all it is. Focus on God, focus on yourself and eat your greens, drink your water, mind your business. Um, I hope that helps. And, um, I look forward to our tarot reading, our one-to-one tarot reading together soon. And then I'll jump into this, um, letter, voice note for Shea Magnificence as well. Oh, it starts off as a letter, then goes into a voice note. It says here, hi Kalechi, I hope you're doing well. As always, I must tell you how grateful I am that you're still doing the podcast. It is such a needed space and yours is such a needed voice. For this week's Share Your Magnificence, I'd like to nominate myself for regaining more of my self-confidence. Despite being a naturally confident person, over the past few years, my self-esteem has waned. And for a long time, I fretted about putting my art out in the open, for example. But in the past week, I've bit the bullet and performed not one but two poems at an open mic night. I'm so proud of myself for overcoming the fear of sharing my art with the world. Also as a mum of three I'm even more proud that I have found the time to fit my various interests around my kids. Ultimately I hope I make them proud one day. Now One of my poems is about a certain wayward politician who we all know but shall remain nameless. Guesses are welcome. Lol. And given the G that is Dawn Butler, were, um, given the G that is Dawn Butler was suspended from Parliament this week, it feels so serendipitous that I released this poem on Thursday night, the same day that um, Dawn showed herself to be a true woman of honour, unlike the focus of my poem. I attach a clip of me reading it out as a voice note, and it would be incredible if you could play it on your show. Sure thing, baby. Here you go. No Daughter of Mine, written by Jacqueline Courtney. Oh my, my daughter of Africa, is it the English Parliament where I see you stand? Is it within the party of division where you've shown your hand? Is the pay that good? Is it mere money that should? See you deny what is right and defend so vehemently a blight? A blight on your own people? The stain of racism after centuries remains, yet you are not fighting to wash it away. No, you are happy to work against, siblings of yours dismantling the chains. It saddens me to say, you are no daughter of mine. Yes, born of me, of Africa, you might be, but a love for me, for Africa, is not what I see. I see scorn, I see shame, I see an urgent need from you to disengage with the work of activists, advocates and appealants for change. If a love for Africa in you bore a flame, it would see you not denounce the theory of white privilege like it's folly or a game. It would tie you to lifelong efforts to redress, restore and gain retribution for all the things, all the people stolen from my shores. I don't have to remind you of how your siblings were taken or of how by foreigners my bones have been broken. Alas, 
This is just another episode in my story of misfortune that leaves me shaken. And this isn't the first time one of my children have been complicit in my demise. But it hurts no less to constantly hear you defend from the wrong inside, inside those hallowed chambers. From your pulpit you protect the inglorious who arrest innocent black children. Just because you don't fear the police doesn't mean they won't kill them. What is frustrating is where you side in these sensitive situations. It is not rhetoric to say that enforcers of law should be fair and act without intimidation. Exactly whose tensions do you fear you'll inflame? If you just say what is right and be part of the change. Lovely. Thank you for that, Jackie. Thank you. That was that was really, really nice. I really enjoyed it. I obviously know who that is. And if it were me, I would have made a mention to straggly braids because that would have been a great ending also to put in there. Do you want to be an agent for change with your straggly braids? Huh? Do ya? Do ya? Um, so thank you for that. Anyway, the last part of Share Your Magnificence is the interview with Philippe Lacotte. Um, who is the amazing writer and director of the new film that's actually out now, really. Yeah, I think it's out now. Yeah, it's out now. Uh, Night of the Kings. It's set in Lamaca prison in Côte d'Ivoire, um, Ivory Coast. And we follow a young boy, young um, black boy or young black man. Um, and he's sent to prison for being part of like um, a group, um, kind of like a militia sort of group. And um, when he arrives at this prison, he is tasked with uh, the job of being um, Romain, who is the storyteller for that night. Um, but obviously that comes with some consequences. And so he needs to keep this story going until daylight or until sunrise. And, you know, they read um, this person who's tasked with being the storyteller for the night does so on the night of the red moon. And I really am so intrigued by men who, you know, exude this incredible um, kind of conversation uh, around femininity that it comes through, that is so very, very, like, prevalent in their work. And that's what Philippe uh, Lacotte, that's what he brings to the table. And I've been trying to do less um, actual, um, like, film interviews and stuff, because while there are so many wonderful films, I'm just like, I need to be able to talk to you about something. And I watched this, and I was absolutely floored, absolutely fucking floored. It has to be one of my, like, probably, yeah, I would say top two favourite things that I've watched in the past, I don't know, three years. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Like, no hyperbole, no cap. This is fucking brilliant. And it was all in French, like, but there's subtitles. So I watched it with, obviously, the subtitles because I don't know a lick of French. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was so lyrical, even with it, you know, reading the subtitles, you could just see, like, it was just incredible to see that many, like, black men being in that space and being so, um, like, the physical theatre that, that, that is kind of used in it, like, the stylized movement that's used in it is out of this world. I just loved it. I just thought it was incredible. So, yeah, you get to listen to my interview with Philippe now, and I'll catch you in a bit. Hello, Philippe. Hello, how are you? 
I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, I know that we only have 15 minutes and I could probably, the questions that I have for you, we could probably be talking for 10 hours. So I really tried to like whittle <laughs> yeah. it down. We have time. We have time. <laughs> so I feel like my first question has to be, um, like, how dare you? How dare you create something so incredible? Like, I watched, I watched the Night of the Kings and I had to, like Night of the Kings and I had to go back, come back, like rewind, go back because some of the scenes were just mm -hmm. breathtaking, but not just the scenes. It's like the wording, you know, the, is so lyrical. And I like that in the film, it mentions City of God, the City of God, because that was literally the last film I saw that touched me in the same way where we're looking at young, we're, we're seeing it, the world through these young black boys and they're in a environment that other people wouldn't want to focus on yet we see so much beauty in it. So what drew you to that? Like how? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I will say that uh, it's my way of uh, telling stories Mm. Uh, I, I try to, for, for a long time now, I try to, to tell uh, different stories in one story. It's, mm -hmm. it's, my, it's my way of working. And I try also uh, in making film, I try also to restitute my culture. And uh, in Ivorian culture, in West African culture, uh, things are not separate. Uh, mm. uh, magical things and realit realistic things are together, are in the same, in the same time. And uh, uh, invisible world, visible world, dead people, live people, uh, this, the border between them is very fine and we cross this border very easily. And uh, in, with this culture, I, I bring also my, my different references in cinema in cinema, in uh, European cinema, in South American cinema. And uh, Night of the Kings, it's uh, uh, also a reference about uh, Greek tragedy. And uh, yeah, uh, Night of the Kings is uh, this mix. Yes, and you can see just your artistry. Um, I love that it was, um, by, um, it was submitted by Code d'Ivoire for the Academy Awards. And, you know, it's turning heads. Everyone's talking about Night of the Kings. They're talking about it because what you've done is sensational. Like you say, you're, you're, you're really showing us um, West African culture through the West African gaze in that we, we do, without the Western gaze, we're looking at this where the surreal intermingles with reality and that is where we exist we exist at this kind of precipice between worlds and you you take us there and you do that through the framework of Lamaka prison and you said that your friend um talked about their experiences to you about their um, being in the yeah. prison but also your mum was in that prison yeah. when you yeah. were younger yeah and I I told you I told that uh, uh first I I got this story of my childhood friend a, a true story who said me that uh, uh, the practice of Roman is a real practice in Lamaca to choose a prisoner and to ask him to tell stories. And uh, this story connected with my uh, family story because, because when I was a child, seven, eight years old, my mother was in Lamaca for political reason during one year. Mm. So I traveled 
uh, one day by week uh, in a collective taxi to go in Lamaca inside this forest because Lamaca is built around the, uh, inside the forest. Yeah. And uh, I kept a very strong image of this moment because uh, Lamaca is, a, as a visitor, Lamaca is a very open prison. So mm. you can, uh, everything is, is public, is collective. Mm. So you, 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 can, you can meet some prisoners, uh, prisoners can take your bread, a prisoner can take your newspaper. So <laughs> there, was, there was some interaction like this. And mm. for me, Lamaca was like a kingdom with queens, kings, lackeys, and I wanted to, to restitute. This, this feeling, this atmosphere. Yes, and you did it so beautifully. I love that, it's Letitia Kai, she was involved as well as the queen. Um, when we go into that, you know, when we start playing with time, it's not chronological. Um, it's beautiful to see her, she's Ivorian as well, right? So, yes, she's yes and, and she's done such wonderful things in, in terms of creations, what she's been able to do with even structures with hair and things like that. So I love how you in, implemented and included the youth of Cote d'Ivoire and what they, um, you know, and what they're bringing forward. I was watching that and I thought to myself, it seems to me like Roma is the embodiment of sto the storytelling history, the oral histories of West African culture. And if he has to die at the end of the night, so do our stories. So he, you know, I thought that that was interesting that you, you gave us our history through a human. Was that a conscious kind of um, line that you wanted to follow and how deeply did you kind of choose his words and choose how you uh, portrayed him in order to deliver that? Yes, of course, when, we, when, we, when I decided uh when you decide to make a film about a, a, a character who will tell stories, it means that as a director, you, you have a lot of questions about how to tell a story, but it's, it's impossible not to think uh, uh, to uh, our oral African tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, our oral tradition uh, in West Africa, it's our griots, griots, mm. Our, our storytellers from uh, 12th century, 12th century, and uh, griots, uh, it could be a man, it could be a woman. Mm. Uh, it's continued today in a modern time. You can, you, you can find griots in weddings, in, uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, in cities. Mm. And, uh, and uh, it was, it was, to, it was uh, for me, it was to pay a tribute to all this uh, uh, powerful, a tradition of telling stories in Africa. And when, when, uh, when Roman arrived in this prison, my main character, he said, my aunt was griot and I, I, I grew up with my aunt. So it's a sort of coming age for him. At the beginning, he doesn't know if he has this power to tell stories. And at the end, he's sure that he has this power. But through Roman, it's also the history, the story of Africa. Mm, to say, mm. okay, we, 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 we don't know if we were kings or not, yes, but, yes. but we, will tell, we will tell our stories. And by these stories, we will be kings, we will yes. be queens. Yes, and I, and I love that for us. I love that you give us something where, 
you know, I love that you said, like, even when you went to visit your mum at Lamaka, like, it felt like a kingdom. We, we saw kings and queens. It wasn't something that was shrouded in shame. It was something that was um, infused with pride. And that pride comes across when we are watching your depiction of Lamaka prison in this film, because we do see pride. We do see um, an, um, an overlaying of different histories, cultures, and, um, you know, subcultures within prison systems as well as that being a microcosm for what's happening in the world at large or within West Africa at large so I think that that's you know I think that's really really wonderful how did you settle or how did you come across because I know that he put himself forward for the casting but of all the actors that you saw how did you settle upon you know what um Kone Bakare that is Roman uh, we, 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 we spent uh, with my casting director, we spent two years and, uh, wow. maybe, we, and maybe we saw 2,000 uh, young people in Ooh. different suburbs of Abidjan, yes. And finally, we selected 40 young boys and mm -hmm. girls, uh, majority of boys uh, mm -hmm. because of the film, and uh, martial art fighters, dancers, singers, Young, young first act, first young actors, and uh, we made a workshop during two months. Mm -hmm. And during and and at the at this uh, at the beginning of this workshop, uh, nobody has his role. It was mm -hmm. very open. Maybe we, we we had the chance to have uh, we we started with uh, five uh, actors who could be Roman, but mm -hmm. finally, I Bakari Kone was uh, the the first one who knows. Uh, by earth, all the script. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, very quickly in one week. Uh, so he helped all these actors to 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 repeat, to know, yeah. to know the to know their speech. And uh, it he was uh, the first one to arrive and the last one to leave. Oh. And uh, the the boy would clean the room. And and by this way, we we started to discuss. We started to spend a lot of time together. And uh, it was important for me to have a, to have a, to have a, to have a character to have a, an actor uh, I could discuss with him without words, and it mm. was the case of of Bakari Kone, and he was very shame at the beginning, but his his own trajectory, uh, a non actor who will play an, a, 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 a role to say to tell stories was the same trajectory than Roman. Like yes. Roman in, in the film. So we use we use this. At the beginning, Roman doesn't know that he doesn't know how to tell a story. And uh, in, 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 the, in one word, I will say that Bakai Kone was not an actor at the beginning of the film, but yes. at the end he became an, an actor. So we, we try to we try to create a parallel uh, between this, uh, these two trajectories, the trajectories of the actor and the trajectory of the world. Yes, and it's evident, it's evident. When I watch it, I was so mesmerized by him. I think he's gorgeous. I think he just played the role incredibly well. And you see that, you see the raw, fresh talent that's there that and the potential that's there. And I just, and I commend you for seeing that and bringing it to us and sharing that with us as a gift. I know that, you know, there must've been, you know, as you say, thousands of other wonderful actors, but really what you gifted us through him, I can't wait for everybody else um, to see it. Um, 
One of the other questions that I thought about was the moon, the red moon, and how yeah. femininity, femininity as a theme is um, prevalent throughout the narrative because we see that even with Greek mythology, as you've um, referenced, right? With the chorus and everything else, we see this. But in a film that's pre, um, predominantly men who are in it, how did you find that balance of still bringing pretty much the divine feminine? We get it through the queen and through Helen, you know, um, um, Zama's mum. Yeah. we get yeah. that. But how did you balance that? Like we've got so much men, so many men, but femininity still kind of finds its way through. Yeah, I didn't want to make a masculine film. Uh, mm. I made a masculine. I made a film with a lot of men because of the system of prison. Yes, uh, be because it, or you have a prison of men, or you have a prison of women, and yes. it was more easy for me to be uh, on the men's side. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I decided to make this uh, this uh, this film on the men's side, my first question was how how to how to bring femininity uh, inside. Femininity also by flashbacks, I, as you said, the queen, uh, I, I tried to build a strong feminine character. Uh, the queen is very important. She's, she's very beautiful in the film. And uh, also the uh, Ellen, uh, even if it's very short, but we have a strong emotion with, uh, with, uh, with the mother of, uh, of Zama. But inside the prison, I wanted to to, to, to bring a character like sexy, a transgenre, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the most important thing is was also to speak about desire in prison. Yes. Yeah, desire in prison to speak about bodies, to, to speak about sexuality in prison. Mm. And, uh, and uh, sexy is a young transgenre in this prison and she has a special place because she, uh, she, she's, uh, she's, she's, uh, uh, she, she has she got a lot of love in in private in yes. private and in public she's mm. uh, she's oppressed mm, and, mm. and i and i wanted to give these two faces yes. i wanted to give these two faces uh, yeah but you did it so responsibly and which i don't often think is done we all we've seen examples of when this hasn't been done responsibly or hasn't been done with care and what i love with what you've done with sexy is that yes we're seeing um, a transgender woman within this prison system and yes you know even when she's been shamed and like pushed around and stuff you protect her as the director we I, I, you know when i view it i actually see how you protect the character from violence she's present when violence takes place and yes she's shamed at certain points you know when she's been pushed around but generally speaking we see her almost on the outskirts or in rooms she's kind of protected kept away from um yeah. those things that could harm her and um yeah i just have to say kudos for that because th th there's a fine balance there's a fine alchemy that you present to us in this film that um it, it's basically genius it's not easy to do that uh, it's not easy, and I think that I tried in my last films, and now maybe I success more in, in Night <laughs> of the Kings because yes. I, I, I try to tell one uh, different stories in one story, and I mm. try to work with different formal elements, archives, legend, magical things, realistic things, animals, archive of animals. So it's not easy, but uh, about sexy, it was important to have a, a room of desire in this prison. Mm. For me, mm. it was like this. I, I, and uh, you have some characters like sexy, like uh, 
uh, razor blades, like yes. uh, silence, war around the fight, around the conflict. They are not inside the conflict of power uh, between Blackbird, Glass, yeah. and Alfmad, but they are around and they bring something very poetic, very, very, very mute. Uh, but sexy is also uh, an instrument in, in, this, in this fight. Yeah. Yes, as we all are. And that's what you showed us that we all are, you know, we're either in the conflict directly or we're instruments within the conflict in one way or, um, or another. And I love that you said that there has to be a room of desire because there's a room of desire within all of us. And some people access yeah. it and some people don't, right? And, you know, Sexy was the one that was almost the reigning queen of that room of desire. So yeah, it's, yeah. you know, commendable work, but I, I won't keep you for much longer. I guess like when I look at Roman and and how, what I've read about, you know, the kind of just, um, you know, justice that you want for the Ivorian youth, for them, the access that you want for um, Ivorian youth. And then we have the final scene that I think is gorgeous where we're still within the prison, but we see um, a sense of freedom. We get the sense of freedom. I wanted to ask you, what does liberation mean to you? you you're, you're telling us things, deeply heartfelt things through your work, but what does it mean to you personally? How do you see liberation playing out in the world? Especially, you know, having a mother that you had that clearly spoke out against what she thought to be liberation. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a I 70% of uh, the population of in Ivory Coast have less than 30 years. Oh. So when we speak about Ivory Coast and when we speak about uh, Africa today, we speak about young people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very important to say this. And Lamaca is a, is a prison with uh, between two populous area, Abobo and Yokugon. Yokugon is my, my, my native area. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a very big suburb, very popular suburb. And all these prisoners, main of these prisoners, comes from this popular area because uh, uh, people, young people are very poor and uh, they, for different reasons, they, mm. they, they finish in La Maca. So it was important for me to, to give them a sort, of, uh, a, a sort of poetry, a sort of, uh, a sort of dignity. Uh, mm. uh, what I want to say really is that uh, 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 the prison, prison, the prison could be a place of poetry, a place yes. of imagination. Yeah, mm. uh, and uh, and 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 uh, I don't, I, I did not want to to say something about the condition, even if the condition are very hard. But mm. I want to, I want to show one night when my prisoners become kings. It's, yes. it's, one, it's only one night, but it's enough to say something about their spirit, about their feeling. The first sentence in, the, in, 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 in this prison, when you start the film, it's uh, uh, nobody is innocent. We don't, yes. we, we don't care about uh, what prisoner they do to be mm. in La Maca, but we want to one night to, to travel in their imagination, in their spirit, in their dreams, in their blues. Mm. And that's it. And that's what comes along, um, you know, that comes across when we're watching it, that even though we are in this prison, a place of confinement, uh, a place of judgment, because you have to be judged sentenced to end up there, we transcend systems, we, we transcend institutions, and we are allowed to be free, and there's hope. And even Blackbeard, you, a lot of shots that you have of him, he's usually behind bars, or he's in rooms, and then also he's confined within, you know, his illness. And, you know, at one point he talks about, well, when I'm free, 
tree. I'm going to roam the outsides of the forest like a doe. And I thought it was interesting yeah. that it's doe and not deer. You know, it's not it's not the male. He, yeah. he, he yeah. says, I, yeah. my divine feminine will be free, yeah. basically. Yeah. You, you speak about masculinity, about black bird, it's important because I didn't want to make the chief who is very uh, masculine. Yes. I, 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 I wanted to bring something more, more, more intimist because when you when you start with Blackbird, it's at the at the end of his life. So yes. it, it's not it's not a chief who will use who will we will use strength to say I'm the chief, but it's a chief who who think about uh, his uh, his death. Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different way to to yeah. speak uh, to speak about how to control a prison. It's not uh, and. Uh, it's for this he will he will he will he will he will organize this uh, this performance of roman telling stories because it's the only way for him to to catch to control the prison yes yes and then we see that through him as well there's that jealousy as we find when people get older they they are jealous of youth because it's like we don't know you know and you look at yeah. the youth and you feel like they're not using their time yeah. properly so he feels that contentment um, or you know he feels that sort of like um resentment towards um roman because it's just like you, you i just saw you and i didn't like you you know and yeah. and so that's why yeah. you were, so i i just think it's beautiful how you've um done that and you've infused hope into something that people might seem see as so dire and and that is a powerful tool to to give people to give them hope so thank you yeah. so much yeah thank you uh, uh, the, the main question was uh, the fight between words and violence Mm. And I wanted to say that words could stop violence. Mm. And you did. You said it. It's, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully portrayed. Um, it felt very theatrical to me as somebody that loves theatre, as an actor that loves theatre. And having done that, what you created, you know, that idea of the chorus, almost like an amphitheatre, that sort of thing, is um, sublime. And I can't wait for more people to experience what you've done, because I think that you're, you're changing something. You're changing something in the kind of our chemical process of our lives, especially as um, uh, children of the West African diaspora. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that. As you can see, Philippe is an absolute wonder and I'm so excited for more of his work. Like I'm truly, truly excited for it because it just made me think about so much. And um, I've, I can't wait to watch Night of the Kings again. Like I've got so, I, I even think like as much as I was able to deconstruct some of the imagery and the language and like what was going on, I still know that if I watch it another three, four, five times, there's, there is, uh, there are other things that I'll pick up, especially if I go and look at the references, whether it's like, um, the references that he's making with the word choice or whether references that have been made visually, um, look at the history of the, um, stories that have been told within um, West African folklore. There are so many layers to this man. And I just, you know, two slaps, on his chest and two slaps on the chest of all the baby girls, baby boys and baby non-binaries that have written in um, and just continue to do magnificent things. Like I'm so excited. I'm so excited for all the wonderful things to come. If you've got a submission, remember to send it to sym at kalechiokafor.com and I will read it out. I'm loving you lots of voice notes. Um, they're just wonderful. Um, love hearing your voices. So let's go to So You Mad. There's quite a bit for So You Mad. I'm just going to try and like whittle it down, I think. 
um, there is a letter from way back. Let's start with this one. It says here, Dear Kelechi, I hope you're doing well. I'm loving the podcast, both with and sans Sadiq. It's a great start to the week, helping me catch up on the good, bad and mad occurring in the world. You deserve all of the success and I hope you get your dream cast soon. Thank you. I'm emailing this submission for So You Mad. We all know that COVID has disproportionately impacted black people here in this dusty England and also over in America, KKK, yeah. And black people have um, died at a higher rate and lost out on more income than our white counterparts. As stated by the NYT, link below, non-white farmers have long endured discrimination from violence and land theft in the Jim Crow South to banks and federal farm offices that refused them loans or government benefits that went to white farmers. Therefore, as part of the COVID relief bill, President Biden signed in March, $4 billion was set aside for 120% debt relief for socially disadvantaged farmers. Defined by the government as those who are black, American Indian slash Alaskan native, Hispanic, Asian and Pacific Islander. This is, of course, only a small portion of the money that black indigenous people of colour in the US are owed. But even this crumb was snatched away by judge this week. Remember, I'm reading this from quite a while ago. Um... Judge Marcia Morales Howard, nope, she's not black, used her ashy hands to lift her gavel and rule it it unconstitutional because it violates white farmers' right to equal protection under the law. It is very, very wild to me that a program, imperfect and insufficient as it is, but specifically designed to begin to correct historical inequities, which are still being felt to this day, can be struck down because of what essentially amounts to a reverse racism argument. Will the madness never end? If anything, the reverse should be happening. With this program extended across more areas of society for um, BIPOC people, and from housing to education to um, healthcare, add this um, add to add to this the Republicans filibust um, filibustering and the for the people bill, which would reverse their efforts to suppress the votes of minorities, the seemingly stalled negotiations on a woefully insufficient police reform bill and the so-called moderates in the Senate unveiling a shitty bipartisan infrastructure bill, which would leave out Biden's stated priorities of taxing the rich, giving federal paid sick leave and tackling the climate emergency priorities, which would disproportionately affect um, or benefit um, BIPOC people. And it seems as if America can do nothing but shuffle towards a bit um, shuffle forwards a bit and then take a step backwards. Thank you for your time in reading this and may you and yours have a blessed week. Many thanks. I just think that that's wild. You know, I think that that's wild that we sometimes, we we approach things as if we started on a level playing field. We did not. We did not. And white farmers, okay, they may have been affected by this pandemic. I, I, I see that. But I don't feel like they've been anywhere near as affected by the pandemic the way that um, black and indigenous people of colour um, would have been affected and, you know, the um, how they've gone about farming, would they would have faced way more obstacles, systemic um, in like systemic obstacles as well, where historically, I don't know if any of you watch Queen Sugar, but that was a great show to kind of highlight the, um, the kind of realities of black farmers and how they were pretty much kept in poverty by 
you know, the white landowners who were out and about, it was just like, for as far as we're concerned, slavery isn't over and you can have these things, but we own all of the land around it. So we're going to frustrate you until you give us your land too. Um, I haven't seen the recent season of Queen Sugar, by the way, because, you know, whatevs. Anyway, but I just think that, you know, that letter resonated and I thought I'd bring it up um, this week. So that was my first So You Mad. My next So You Mad is um, the Norwegian, what is it? The Norwegian women's beach handball team have been fined for not wearing bikini bottoms. Um, the European Handball Federation has handed out 1,500 euro fine to the team wearing shorts instead of bikini bottoms at the recent European Beach Handball Championships. Um, that t- translates to about or converts to £1,295 and, and roughly €150 Euros per player for Im- uh, uh, for improper clothing. Wow. And it's just like, what do you mean improper clothing? We don't want to wear the little bikini bottoms. Men, the men who are playing handball as well, the beach handball, they wear these long shorts. They can wear that. And then I guess they can wear vests as well. Or if they want to be topless, they can do that too. But women are told that they must wear these little skinny little um, bikini bottoms. And Again, this is what I was saying about misogynoir, I'm sorry, misogynoir, misogyny, how, like, women's bodies are controlled literally everywhere. Why? What reason is there that they must wear these little bikini pants? Why? Why can't they wear shorts? If the men can wear shorts, why can't the women wear shorts? Why must it be the little skinny... I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. And it's the same way that we see that, you know, they're trying to stop... Um hijabi um hijabis um from wearing what they want to wear they're all part of the same coin like trying to control women's um the way that women are clothed in any which way leave people alone let people wear what they want to wear the main point of it is that that fucking ball goes over the net if it's going over the net or you know flying to the other team or doing whatever the fuck why does it matter if I'm wearing pom-pom shorts or if I'm wearing these little thongs or if I'm wearing whatever? Because the whole reason that you know that it's popular is because you want our body to be on show, our bodies to be on show as much as possible to drive ticket sales. That is disgusting. That is horrible. And yes, you're used to commodifying women's bodies um, in order to sell products. But, you know, certain times women are tired of that and you can find as much as you want to find but you're just making yourself look like absolute fucking pricks leave people alone and let them wear the things that they want to wear and then finally um eric clapton the singer the musician the musician old guy um he says that he won't play at any venues requiring people to be vaccinated and it's just like, well, okay, girl, you know, you don't, you don't have to. And my whole thing about the whole mandating, having everyone vaccinated thing, I feel two ways about it because I just don't feel like, again, like I was saying earlier about the bikini bottoms and things like that. I feel like there has to be a line where the government can't force you to do certain things. The same way that I feel like you can't be forcing women to keep pregnancy or, um, you know, birthing people to keep um, pregnancies if they don't want to. Like, that's not for you to do. Leave people alone, you know? So if we can say that the the government doesn't have a right to um, force people to keep pregnancies, they shouldn't have a right to force people to be like, you must have this vaccine, otherwise you can't do this, you can't do that. If you want to say that, well, before they, they can go into certain places, they must have done, you know, tests, like, 
these lateral flow tests or whatever, I think that that's fine. That's a, that's a healthy medium. And if they haven't done it, then they don't come into the venue. Like you have to choose one or the other. You can't say, I don't want to do a test and I don't want to do a vaccine. I don't want to be vaccinated either because now you're being selfish. Like you've got to consider the other people who are around you as well. So, um, you know, I, that's what I think about that specific thing, but him saying, no, I'm not going to, um, you know, be at these places where they're demanding that people have a vaccine okay, well, you d I don't necessarily even want you to perform, to be honest. I, don't, I just don't even think that you should be out here performing because you're wild as you are. And from what I remember of a very racist comment that you made, you shouldn't be doing much. But it says here, Eric Clapton says he will not perform at any venues that require attendees to prove that they've been vaccinated against COVID-19. Clapton issued his statement in response to Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement on Monday 19th of July that vaccine passes would be required to enter nightclubs and venues. Clapton's statement was shared via the um, Telegram account of film producer and architect um, Robin Monotti, who has um, also been sceptical of the COVID-19 vaccine and expressed other doubts about the UK government's response to the pandemic. Clapton previously shared a message about his disastrous health experience after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine on Monotti's Telegram page. Um, following the PM's announcement on Monday, the 19th of July, 2021, I feel honour bound to make an announcement of my own, Clapton said. I wish to say that I will not perform on any stage where there is a discriminated audience present. Unless there is a provision made for all people to attend, I reserve the right to cancel the show. The message was accompanied by a link to Clapton's anti-lockdown song with Van Morrison's Stand and Deliver. Representatives for Clapton did not immediately return um, any requests for comment. Um, and yeah, I just think that it's interesting. I think that, you know what, let me, let me break it all the way down to you. Let's just be real with each other for a moment here. I think it's weird and also wonderful, right? How you get to see what white people are passionate about. White people can suddenly say that they don't want to perform at certain venues that other people have been discriminated against when it's a COVID fucking vaccine. But you are the same person, and I'm going to read you what he said in 1976 at another one of his own concerts, right? You're the same person that can make all these other statements, but you now feel like, oh, well, if people are being forced to take vaccines, then they, um, you know, or they've been told that they can't enter these um, premises on, on all venues unless they take a vaccine, then I don't want to perform here. What about people who were forced into slavery? How do you feel about that? They were forced into slavery and then your mother or their motherland or whatever the fuck, the queen was like, oh, come and join us and help us rebuild our country after World War II. And they came over to come and help you do that. And they've been treated like shit, told like, oh, you know, you can't enter here and you can't drink from this fountain. You can't do that. What about the people who had their countries colonized and then as some way of finding some sort of like restitution are like, oh, well, I'm going to go to the people's country who colonized mine because surely they should be able to see me as one of their own and rah, rah, rah. I just make all of those comparisons because it's like people don't want to do the full mathematics. They'll stop at one plus one and they will not figure out how it equals two. They will just stop there and just be shouting up and down about one plus one. What does it equal though? What does the fucking thing equal? Talk about that, but they don't want to. They don't want to finish the assignment. Um, so yeah, I just thought that that was wild. And again, I'm one of them people, 
either way, I'm really about minding my business. As long as me and mine and the people around me are safe and they're making informed decisions, you man can do what the fuck you want to do in it. I, again, I maintain that the government should not have so much power to be able to be like, you must do this and you must do that. Um, when also we've seen how they've grossly mishandled all of this stuff. So it's fucking cheeky of you to then turn around and be like, now you have to do this. Otherwise you can't live your life fully. Well, people would be able to live their life fully if you done your job fully. But instead people were fingering people and lipsing people, um, you know, in your offices in Whitehall and you were going and checking girls that play violins and all of that stuff. None of you were actually doing your job. You were busy licking out pum. You were busy doing that. Pretty you were busy laundering money. Just launch. Everybody was out here just chopping money, but you'll be talking about, oh, Nigeria is so corrupt. Where did they learn the corruption? The villainy that you taught them is what they're executing. What the fuck are you talking about? I mean, oh, they're so corrupt over there in Africa. Why? Who corrupted them? Who corrupted the hard drive? Was it not you, man? Britain is a virus. Let's start there. You, you were the first. You were the first pandemic. Start there. It's just wild to me. It's just absolutely wild that um, you can turn around and start telling citizens that they must do this and they must do that. And I... And meanwhile, not taking into account that this is all gaslighting. This is all smoke and mirrors because the fact of the matter is so much money has disappeared. So much money has disappeared into weird little shell companies, weird little companies that have been started up um, started up. And then when you trace it back, it's all of you man's friends that have gotten all of the money. And you're like, well, if you want to go and live a life again, you need to do what we need, what we say. But you should have just done your job. The thing is, there is a way that you can steal money and still appear to do your job. You lot couldn't even finesse the thing. You couldn't even pretend like you were doing something while you were stealing the money. I think that that's ridiculous. I think that that just goes to show how useless and stupid and fucked up you are because you th- there could have been a healthy balance. That's what the tarot said. You could have found um, temperance. Anyway, this is what Eric Clapton said um, in 1976, I think it was. He said he was performing at a venue and he said, do we have any foreigners in the audience tonight? If so, please put up your hands. So where are you? Well, wherever you all are, I think you all, you should all just leave, not just leave the hall, leave our country. I don't want you here in the room or in my country. Listen to me, man. I think we should send them all back. Stop Britain from becoming a black colony. Get the foreigners out, get the wogs out, get the coons out keep Britain white. The black wogs and coons and Arabs and fucking Jamaicans don't belong here. We don't want them here. Now he's been asked since, right? What, whether, you know, whether he stands by that statement or whatever. I don't think that that kind of racism is something that you unlearn. Like there are things that people can say, um, that where it shows their ignorance, but this was on a next level. This was a next level hatred. Like look at all the words, look at all the, all the like nasty words he managed to be able to, to get out your fam, just play your fucking guitar and shut the fuck up. But no, you managed to get all of these words out. 1976 was not long ago. They're asking him since, well, how have you, you know, have you taken that back? How are you feeling about the whole thing? And he never wants to explicitly address it, but you have the vim. You have vim now when it's COVID-19 to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to perform at a venue that requires people to be vaccinated and before they can come through. Like, whew, whew, 
I think that's a mess. What I found most interesting though was that there are white people who don't, you know, they don't complain about the things that he said. I read one person say, um, they, they tweeted here and they said, to be fair, he was thoroughly ashamed of this. He was very drunk on stage with an ongoing drink problem. It didn't reflect his views beforehand or afterwards, but he would agree, I think, that there was no excuse for this. What the fuck are you talking about? Why do white people think that drunkenness makes you racist? What are you talking? What kind of alcohol are you drinking? What's the percentage in your alcohol that when you drink it, all the racism that you claim was not in your body beforehand just comes flying out? What are they putting in the wine? What are they putting in a beer like what kind of barley is what what is going on which kind of barley which kind of grape are they using like merlot what hop what what is in your thing that is sending you lot onto crazy levels of racism or because you had a drink alcoholism does not make you a racist you you you're either a racist alcoholic or you're an alcoholic or you're a racist but you can't say that it was the racism or it was the alcohol the alcohol or the alcoholism that made the person racist. Like that is some bullshit. And it's the same way that it seems like white people can just compartmentalize racism and be like, oh no, 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 they're not racist. They had an allergic reaction. They got stung by a wasp. And and you know, that's when they would never say that usually. It's just the wasp sting. Um, you know, they had a very adverse reaction to it. And that's why they said that they want all black people to be hanged from trees and their balls cut off. What the fuck are you talking about? Stop making excuses for racists today, in this moment, right now, right here, right now. No, stop it. Stop making excuses for racists because you look very mad. Um, but that person that made the comment, she got dragged anyway, and I'm glad she got dragged because I don't, I don't, I don't get it. It wasn't, it's not, it didn't reflect his views beforehand or afterwards. What are you talking about? But anyway, um, yeah sometimes two things can be right at the same time yeah people shouldn't be told how they should go about being vaccinated or what that will mean for them to be able to enter venues as long as they've taken the right precautions I feel and taken the tests and do what they need to do you know that's kind of like my healthy medium at the same time you're a raging racist so you can shut the fuck up you dumb bitch um so I just wanted to say that anyway that's that I think no no it's not that for so you mad there's one last bit for so you mad um which was rather sad actually um when I read this so let's get this up a Tennessee man died after he was swatted by people targeting his Twitter handle a Tennessee man um died last year after being targeted by a swatting call by someone who wanted him to give up his Twitter handle. Mark Herring, 60 years old, owned the Twitter handle at Tennessee. Um, he chose the handle when Twitter was in its infancy because he loved his home state and the Tennessee volunteers. Over the years, Herring received many offers to sell the Twitter handle, but he always refused. Sometimes a prospective buyer would get disgruntled at his refusal to sell. But on April 27th, 2020 things took a deadly turn literally during the pandemic um herring's relatives um according to herring's uh, several of herring's relatives um he began risk um, they began getting pizza deliveries that they had not ordered two of herring's daughters and his ex-wife got multiple pizzas all cash on delivery alarmed they began to reach out to herring but got no response Herring's son-in-law finally got through to Herring's living girlfriend. She said, everything is not okay. I'm in the back of a cop car. I got to go. Um, 
Anyway, police had received a call from Herring's number claiming that Herring had killed a woman on the property. Officers responded to the scene, guns drawn. They met Herring on his porch and demanded that he put his hands up. That's when Herring had a massive and fatal heart attack. The family soon learned that Herring had received a demand from two people who wanted his Twitter handle. He refused and the people allegedly began intimidation tactics to force him to sell. Police now say that two minors, one from Tennessee and one from from the United Kingdom were responsible for the events of April 27, 2020. The American minor has since turned 18 and is being charged in as, as an adult. Good. The alleged British co-conspirator is still a minor and will not be extradited to the United States. But you see, but you see, because if I was running this country, trust and believe I'm sending you over. Yeah, I'm sending you over. Packaged up UPS, baby. You're getting right over, you little dirty little boy. You stupid little boy. Um, according to the documents filed in Western Tennessee District Court, Shane Sonderman pleaded guilty in March to wire fraud slash conspiracy, interstate communication of threats, false information and hoaxes and conspiracy. According to the charging documents, Sonderman had six other victims across the country. Only Herring died. The court filing states that as part of the harassment campaign, defendant Sonderman and his co-conspirators would place calls to emergency service dispatchers or 911 911 dispatchers claiming that an emergency was in progress at the residence of the um, owner of the desired social media handle. Swatting is defined as generating an emergency law enforcement response against the target victim under false pretenses. Swatters can do this by making phone calls to 911, sometimes mimicking the victim's phone number and falsely reporting a violent emergency situation. Court documents state that Sonderman is currently awaiting sentencing. An attorney for Sonderman um, did not immediately want to comment. Wow, this is what your sons are doing online. But you'll be talking about how rap and hip hop music is ruining ruining the youth. But this is what your children are doing online. When you're busy, like not figuring out how to use seasoning in your food, this is what your children are doing online. I think it's absolutely wild. And I'm so sorry that that man is dead. I mean, yeah, I hope that he wasn't a racist. Anyway, um, that's the hardest thing, you know, sometimes when people die, specifically white people, I'm like, oh, I hope that your soul, you know, um, gets to transcend and do all of the things. But I also hope you weren't a racist. Um, and it's really a difficult one. It's a very difficult one. But anyway, like that is disgusting that that happened to him or for a Twitter handle, or because you want it at Tennessee. What the fuck? And there has to be more regulations in place when it comes to social media. Trust me, I do not know what they are, but I cannot fully get behind all of this, like, oh, we need people's identities to be verified before they can use social media. Because again, we're giving a lot of power to the government. We're giving them a lot of data that they can misuse. And we know that they'll misuse it because they misused all the funding that they should have used during the COVID-19 crisis um, as, and it's ongoing. Um, and they didn't use that um, properly or and with integrity. So just imagine what they're going to be doing with even more information about you. And the thing is, these social media platforms are also private companies as well. So what are they going to be doing with your information once it's received? Everything is about data. And I keep talking to you about this technocracy that we're heading towards. Like, look at the fact, look at where um, Bezos is, look at where Gates is, look at what all of these men are doing with their time. Look at Branson, all of them. Um, what's that? Zuckerberger, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, 
what everyone's doing, like, the, it, it's really sinister. It's really sinister where they're trying to go with the data that they collect because data is the currency, not really money anymore. That's why they're able to amass lots of, like, money because what they're selling is far more valuable um, than, you know, mere gold. Um, so, yeah, so all, all of those things are really worrying that if they got given even more information as private companies, what they would then go to do with it and also what the governments will then be doing and the kind of deals that they would strike going forward so yes we need to find a way to deal with this like ridiculous behavior harmful behavior that's taking place online but how do we do that in a way that is then not going to backfire on for instance activists and people like that that do need to keep a level of anonymity in order to be able to do the work that they do I don't know the answer so and I'm just putting it out there that we we must figure something out at some point um but yeah, the, whoever that UK miner is, somebody needs to slap him up. As far as I'm concerned, he needs to get clattered in his fucking face. Um, as for Start Your Motors, well, Hungary GP, um, the Hungary Grand Prix is next week. And then there'll be a three week break, like a summer holiday for Formula One. So the drivers and everybody else can go and live their lives for a bit. But Hungary GP, the Hungary Grand Prix will be the first time that we're seeing Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton interacting again after the drama of last week at Silverstone. Now, the thing is, Chris Horner, who's the team principal that I've told you, king of bad vibes, he's the team principal for Red Bull. He um, put out a, like a blog post on the Red Bull, um, the Red Bull website um, a few days ago. And it's like he was doubling down on his fuckery. And it's really worrying to see like just the way that people choose words to present like black people or, you know, biracial people or, you know, whatever. In this case, like, they're racialising Lewis Hamilton as black, right? Um, it's the way that they, that he went about choosing the words. And, and it makes me think, like, Jerry Halliwell is your fucking wife. Jerry Halliwell is your wife. Like, she's a spice girl. Why has your life not been spiced up? Spice up your fucking life. If your life was spiced up, you would not be spending this much time just being bad vibes. How do you marry a whole spice girl? How do you marry a whole ginger spice? And you are spiceless, seasonless. How? Just bad vibes for no reason. Hate to see it, man. Hate to see it. I mean, yeah, it's all one thing to want to win. Like, yeah, Red Bull dominated for four years. And then, um, you know, Hamilton, Mercedes, they had this br brilliant synergy with each other. And they started, like, doing all of the things. And they, then they became seven-time world champions. And all of this, you know, really must have really knocked you. And I get it. I get it. Because you also know that Red Bull can be great. But the thing that you don't want to do is just start moving mad with certain statements that you're making because sometimes ancestors will rise up and say, okay, no more wings for you. Yeah, no more wings for you. You can sit the fuck down. So just remember that and behave accordingly. But anyway, we'll see what drama next week, Sunday brings because Max being so young and full of like, I feel like immaturity and aggression. I hope that he's you know, able to drive properly. But if he gets in his feelings and decides to now start moving mad on the track and, you know, he crashes again, boy, that's on him in it. But I feel like now more than ever, Lewis Hamilton's got the fire in him and he's going to do what needs to be done. And all the other drivers, I feel like they're trying to like stay out of it. They don't want no problems. You know, they're just trying to like keep it cute. And I think that that's what's best for everybody right now. Like, let's see how next week plays out. Because sometimes you get these really random races where the people that you're expecting to win 
crash out or something happens and they can't um they can't drive anymore and the people or the drivers that are usually at the back or in the middle suddenly they're you know proper racing proper going for it and then you've got somebody that wins that you weren't expecting so but let's see let's see how it all plays out let's see what happens with that anyway let's get to straw of the week aka suck your mum I've got a letter here. I'll start with one of the letters first. Let's see here. Dear, I love. Let me say, I love this letter because it's clearly written by somebody that knows how people read. And um, yeah, clearly a teacher, but somebody that knows how people read because things are in different um, like sizes in terms of the like the lettering. Some things are bold. Some things are like in a slightly different color. It's just really great. I love that. I love that. Such attention to detail. It says, get in a G-Wagon and a townhouse. Dearest Kalechi, I've been listening to you since your chat shit get banged moment of, um, of May 2020. With this, there was a collective sigh of relief hearing your truth and boldness. A lot of people say similar. I agree. You are refreshing super magic. Like an albatross perusing a wide terrain, you prove sun-like energy vibrations with your powerful, confident voice of reason. You lance lies, a true queen, revamping dampened souls, each word debunking the veil of deceit that settled into many aspects of this modern world. So essential with the increasing stealth censorship, voicing the silence, big up, big up, big up, big up. Fist pump to Hamilton as per your podcast 155. Your 155 podcast tarot reading about money worries hit the nail. As I shift my thinking to letting go of worry to set up my own coaching company from working as a supply teacher, I have lots of qualifications, including Pilates, um, teaching, dance, but as yet um, has not alchemized into bling wealth. Until yesterday, I was working as a supply teacher the pay, £150 per day, less five types of reduction, agency fee, employee fee, admin fee, plus tax and national insurance reductions, bringing it down to £88 per day. That was wearing lower pay by stealth. I'm working on a new project. My straw of the week, other than supply teaching pay, my Monday supply teaching school. I reported a teacher safeguarding issue. Her treating black students in an aggressive way as reiterated by other staff. You know the way police speak to them. They got back to me three months later after still booking me up until last Monday to say the school did not want to use me again. Why? They said because I did not complete the safeguarding form correctly. When the person I reported it to said they would complete the form. Bizarre games there. Race related. Working as a supply teacher, I have seen many black primary school, primary pupils with poor math skills. I was in a school recently with near zero black senior management and majority black students. In a maths test, most got one out of 50 and had issues with concentrating, not developing. Their preoccupied parents, some EFL, just don't get it. They trust the smiles, fancy looking building, appearance of order, rules, smart dress, eye contact, aplomb, um small facial gestures and corporate voices as having their children's backs. They don't address these issues and their far-reaching implications. Since listening to your podcast, I've noticed a type of cold communication, invisibilizing, something pre-2020 shutdown I took as normal. In the same way, drivers act like they don't see black cyclists or black pedestrians adopting a blank face. Um, I was invisibilized when walking around my most non-black school. 
ignored by counterparts with their stiff jaws, unseasoned quinoa and UVB screen um, oiled noses. The other silence I noticed, never speaking out against racism. George Floyd, nothing. The Euros, abuse of the three footballers, nothing. Megan, what colour is the baby? Nothing. Saying they are apolitical. The slow smile, stare and wave sometimes. Poli um, polite chat about the weather, a pet, a sincere facial expressions with head tilt but never lingering. Comfortable to waltz around as colleagues, neighbours, bosses, partners, lovers, but never say words of support against racism. Or the polite ones who only whose only interest in anything you say is to turn your comment into something about them with, that's just like when I, therefore ideas, um, therefore ideas or comparison. Is it me or is this common? Is this the real normal? Whatever it is, it's wearing, which is why it's so invigorating to hear your counterculture chatter. I am ambitious. I want success and a great life. I sent it out to the universe for lush living like a G-Wagon and a townhouse in Pimlico. Ending on a high. I am putting on a show again. First show in 2019, then 2020. I'm looking um, run at Peck for a run at Peckham Theatre in the winter. Be great if you and Sadiq can come along. Peace, protection and power. Stay shining. Thank you for that. That was really nice. I really enjoyed reading that because of all the ways that it was formatted. Um, but yeah, I think that it's a thing in schools, isn't it? They talk about black children underperforming and then you go and look at the school and they were like, and you're like, well, what did you expect them to do if this is what, what they're working with? It basically feels like, you know, like some of these academies, yeah? To me, some of these academies feel like baby prisons, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I've said this on the show before, if some of these people, um, some of these um, stakeholders in the academies also own shares in prisons, because it's really weird, like, the energy doesn't feel like one of an environment where they're trying to cultivate learning, it feels more like they're just training them to send them to prison, or to get them into a workforce that they can never, um, you know, ascend higher than. And then my... Um, other straw goes out to Megan Kelly, who calls herself a journalist, and um, I think she's an attorney and a sports commentator. Basically, I just call her a dickhead, and I feel like she needs to go and suck her mother dry until she passes out. But um, she tweeted um, a few days ago, and she um, said, poor at Naomi Osaka, she tagged Naomi Osaka, and she said, poor Naomi Osaka blocked me while taking a shot at me, guess she's only tough on the court, she's apparently arguing that she shot her many covers before publicly claiming she was too socially anxious to deal with press, truth is, she just doesn't like questions she can't control, admit it, what the fuck is the, like, the, the obsession that some of these white American women have, and I wouldn't even say just white American women, but a certain white women that have an obsession with wanting to go into battle with women who are racialized as non-white, right, and with Naomi in this case having that, um, you know, Haitian parent, it really plays a role. Why do you not like to respect boundaries? What, look, I can turn... It's the same thing that happens with Meghan and Harry, Meghan Markle and Harry, Prince Harry. They say that they don't want the newspapers to report on them anyhow. And then it's announced that Prince Harry's coming out with a book. One book will come out now and then the other book is only going to come out after the Queen dies. So I feel like he's going to spill some tea. That's going to really help me to dismantle the monarchy. But anyway... They're like, oh, I thought they wanted privacy. So why are they coming out to talk? No, no, no. They want to choose the information that they put forward. You're not understanding 
boundaries. You're not understanding autonomy. What the fuck is wrong with you? You can't just have access to people any which way you like. Like, that's not how this works. You're going to have to respect how people want to be treated. And this is the same with the Naomi Osaka thing. Even if she took these um, Sports Illustrated, because she's on the front cover of Sports Illustrated, right? And wearing her little swimsuits and looking cute. Even if she took these photos after she said that she doesn't want to compete anymore um, because, you know, she's thinking about her mental health and she doesn't want to do press or whatever. Even if, yeah, people can do what they want. Like, we're human beings we can we, who have free will. She can do what she wants. But the fact of the matter is she's saying that she took these pictures before she made that announcement because, um, that announcement because more time, they plan all of these magazine shoots well ahead of time. I would know. I mean, I'm saying I would know, like, you're going to see me on the front cover of um, British Vogue in December. But what I'm saying is, like, we just don't know, right? Like, they plan these things ahead. They know. The magazines know. So she's not going to go and say something like that if she can't back her chat. But why do you want her to argue with you? What are you talking about? She's only tough on the courts. Because the moment now she talks to you with any sort of bass in her voice or she responds to you any, in any way that gets you dragged, you as the white woman, you're going to start crying. You're going to start tweeting about how you're crying and how you don't understand why people are being horrible to you. Hashtag be kind. You're always asking for pe- people to be kind after you've been a cunt. Like, that's wild. So... I just don't like it. I I just think it's nasty how people just don't want to respect um, boundaries put in place by non-white women. If a white woman turned around and was like, oh, my mental health is really, really struggling. I don't want to do this, um, these um, press things at the tournament. And then you see them in a campaign for a, you know, on the front cover of a magazine thereafter, you'll be like, oh, I love that they're pushing through. I love that they're being strong. Warrior queen, warrior queen. You love all of that. But for Naomi, that's out, that's off limits. And also there's a difference between me posing on the front cover of a magazine in my swimsuit to me being asked very racially motivated, horrible, antagonistic questions by these reporters and journalists or whatever before or after um, a match. No, if, if, if you don't want to put yourself in that space, you can choose where you put yourself. Like you can choose to be in spaces where you're celebrated. You don't have to be in spaces where people are antagonizing you all the time. But for some reason, white women like Megan Kelly feel like you must stay in these spaces. Oh, because you signed up for it. You're the athlete. You know what comes with it. You're getting paid for it. Why are you whinging? I can whinge if I want to. I can win. It's my party and I'll clark you if I want to. Okay. It was the same when they were talking about, oh, why is, you know, Lewis talking about racial abuse um, that he's getting online? He came back a few days later and he was just posting pictures of him and his dog. He was just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do me. I'm not going to be here doing all of this mess with you lot. Like, I'm just going to show that I'm not doing it with you. I'm not playing with you anymore. And you know what? Fine. Everyone deals with their things in different ways. But honestly, I just thought that this message from Megan was very smelly. Like, you should focus on the fact that you got kicked out of your, kicked off your previous show all them years ago for your views on blackface. Go and focus on the things that need your attention and shut the fuck up and leave Naomi alone. How about that? Go suck your mother and shut the fuck up. Um, my last straw goes to, um, the, it all feels so Olympics related, yeah, but my final, final straw, um, because it's just wild, it's just wild to me, um, the president, is he the president of the Olympic, um, committee, let me just get that up, 
Yeah, no, so these he's the chief. So the Olympics chief, Thomas Bach, goes to Japan and calls its people Chinese. Wow. Like, you're literally the chief of this. How do you not know how to refer to the people of the country that you're in? It says here, International Olympic Committee President, oh, I was right, Thomas Bach, um, added to his already shaky public image in Japan on Tuesday by inadvertently referring to the Japanese people as Chinese at his first public appearance since arriving in Tokyo last week. You have managed to make Tokyo the best ever prepared city for the Olympic Games. This is even more remarkable under the difficult circumstances we all have to face, Bach said at the headquarters of the Tokyo Olympics um, organising committee before um, making a slip of the tongue. Our common target is safe and secure games for everybody, for the athletes, for all the delegations, and most importantly, also for the Chinese people, Japanese people, Bach said. Although Bach um, Bach, um, caught his mistake quickly and interpreters didn't translate the gaffe into Japanese, it was quickly picked up by Japanese news outlets and sparked a backlash on social media. Many Japanese blame Bach for, in their eyes, forcing Japan to press ahead with the Olympics in the midst of a pandemic and despite the risks, although the Japanese government has also, has always stood behind the decision to push on with the Games. It's not the first time Bach's comments have struck a dissonant chord in Japan. He also inflamed public opinion in March by saying that the Olympics will require a great sacrifice and then in May for praising the great resilience and spirit of the Japanese people and their ability to overcome adversity. All those remarks were seen by some as insensitive since most Japanese people did not want the games to take place this year and were not willing to make a sacrifice. Um, And I just think that that says a lot. I feel like so many things are happening around us. Like people are being forced to continue or pretend that life has gone back to normal when they do not want to do the things. I think that I saw one article, I saw one headline rather that said that cannabis is taking center stage at this year's Tokyo Olympics. But you told Shikari that she couldn't um, race because um, she had taken cannabis, but suddenly you're going to have a whole big um, conversation about cannabis and it's going to be led by white people, which again proves the point of who is allowed to partake and um, profit off um, cannabis. It's not the people who are jailed for it definitely not um but yeah like bark get it right yeah put your bark into it get these things right you can't be calling japanese people chinese people like you've been this um, event has been planned for over well maybe four years more than way more than and you're you're out here mixing things up where's your head at where's your head at where's your head at? Anyway, that's that for this week. I feel like you should go and suck um, a straw, stop forcing people to do Olympic games that they don't want to do. And if you are going to force them to do the games, at least get their fucking, um, you know, ethnicity or their nationality, rather get their nationality right, because this is an absolute mess. Um, And that's that. That's that for this week's episode of SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? That's right, suck your mum. That's been a long as fuck episode. It's going to be very long just hearing me talk, wow, you guys are good. So if you've got some voice notes or a letter, send it to sym at kalechiokafor.com. You can join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash kalechiokafor. And, you know, remember to follow at Say Your Mind Pod and at Kalechnikoff. And I'm loving all of you lots of reviews. If you get a chance to write another review, write another review on the Apple Podcasts. Um, ting. I appreciate it. It's all looking lovely. I'm loving all of the ways that the podcast is showing up online. Anyway, that's that. And I'll catch you next week. 
is the Benz Punani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this If you sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are go sippy yo. Hard time scrolling for your long truths You might learn something you never know Could let you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind